Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz. I'm Adam Bushman, your host, and I'm excited for you to join us for more fan-driven, ad-free Utah jazz basketball content. So happy you're with us. Today, we're talking about training camp, doing a kind of check-in there, talking about all the things, all the buzz that we're hearing out of camp. Specifically, are we buying? Are we selling? Are we holding? And then I want to talk off-season in review. Now that we have perfect hindsight uh, for all of the, the movement and all of the happenings of the off-season, what do we make of it all? So we're going to break that down here on the podcast today. If you're a fan of what we're doing, we'd love if you would consider subscribing to the podcast here in your podcatcher or if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, would also really appreciate a follow on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz or if you're interested in checking on, in on what I'm doing at Adam underscore Bushman. Also, leaving us a review or a comment would go a long way to you know, helping this channel grow. Well, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. All right, a training camp check-in. So training camp, media day, preseason are all underway. Sunday is the first game of the preseason. We've had the first week of training camp, and we're starting to see the, the reports, the trickles, the video that's coming out of training camp. And so let's run through all the different things that, that we're hearing out of there and see if we buy, sell, or if we're holding on all of that stock. Because really, if you think about it, just like a new job or any new experience, we're all pretty confident. We're all optimistic, bullish on the outcomes. You know, everything is easy. Everything is rosy. And the truth of the matter is that it's usually just a positive lens that we're viewing everything through. And that's kind of what's going on through, through training camp right now. You know, everyone is X percent bigger or, you know, X percent leaner or all, all the good vibes all the time or how everybody's just clicking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to take a small step back as fans. We, we want to be super excited about the team, but we want to take a small step back and check in and see if we're buying, selling, or holding on some of this training camp buzz. So let's get into it. So the word out of training camp and, and really f beginning the, in the media day uh, statements that were made by Justin Zanuck and Will Hardy was that the Jazz are planning to win every game. And specifically, Tony Jones in a recent article and on a recent podcast where he joined ESPN 700 really talked about the Jazz are planning to win every game. So do we buy? Do we sell? Do we hold? Well, first, I buy this from the coaching standpoint, and I do so from from this perspective. Most of the players and, and the coaches, I mean, it's going to be hard for them just to not do their best in a in just a vacuum, right? You know, you're you're playing, you're going 100% and the players want to win, they they want that instant gratification at the end of the night. The coaching staff even though they're brand new, they are being evaluated, so they do want to win and and they do want to find winning recipes that will work as the stakes get more and more serious. So I do buy it from the coaching staff. I, I do think Will Hardy and the players, they want to win every game they can. They will optimize their, their approach to maximize their odds of winning. 
However, I am selling this perspective from the front office, and I'll tell you why. Yes, they need more info. They need more info on what they currently have, right? We've got a bunch of youngins and we've got some vets. They need more info. What's scalable, right? Not just in terms of the players, but what the players can do and what the ideal fits around those players are. We need to know what we have and what we have is in relation to a contending roster. And we need to figure out what we're missing relative to a contending roster. And upon more info, I personally think that they're going to pick a direction. They're going to pivot midseason. And even if at the start, during a really brutal schedule, they're trying to win every game, I think the front office has a long game in mind and are going to pivot midseason to give the coaching staff a roster that's more conducive to lo losing the rest of the season uh, than maximizing the number of wins. Now, recently, Brian Windhorst on the Bill Simmons podcast had this to say specifically about this, uh, I suppose, this fodder that's coming out from the front office and the coaching staff. Brian Windhorst of ESPN said the following, I keep laughing out loud every time Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck, two people I respect, are acting like, oh, we're not tanking. We're still going to try and compete. Almost nothing that the Jazz have said publicly the, the past four or five months has actually been true. We're going to rebuild around Donovan. We don't need to trade Bogdanovich before training camp. We've got good veterans. We're going to try and win these games. Don't judge their words. Judge their actions. End quote. Brian Windhorst of ESPN on the Bill Simmons podcast. Call Brian Windhorst you know, a, a, you know, a schmuck, you know, say that he doesn't know what he's talking about to an extent, all those things, you know, are true. However, this off season in particular, he was out in front of the pack saying, Oh, there's something, you know, we all saw the meme. Oh, something's going on in Utah. He was out ahead of the pack saying, Hey, what the, what the front office is selling publicly to the media is not accurate. And it was, it was proven true more often than not this offseason. Okay? I, th I think Brian Windhorst, and it's not just those comments alone. It's what I mentioned previously about you know, wanting to pivot midseason. I agree the coaching staff and the players will try hard. But I do think that if the front office is, is really accurate in saying, oh, of course we want to you know, pursue a championship. Oh, this is an opportunity for us to secure our future of a championship. That... Doing so to find out what you have early on in the season is the right move. And going out and acquiring uh, Kelly Olenek and a swap for Boyan Bogdanovich rounds out the roster in such a way that you can actually find out what you have, right? You can see what the young players are with a more well-rounded, balanced roster who can actually do stuff. However, I think once they know what they have, they're going to pick a direction, and I think Brian Windhorst is right. I think that this is, this is a pitch to the media that, that, that sounds right and is consistent to how the, front, uh, the coaching staff will approach things, but, but isn't consistent with the front office. So I'm buying that the coaching staff will, will try and win, and so will the players, but I'm selling on the front office, optimizing this roster for the length of the season to capture every win possible.
Okay, so the second thing that we've been hearing out of training camp is that the vets are going to play. And I totally buy that. For the reason that I just mentioned, everything we've been hearing from not only the front office and the coaching staff, but from Tony Jones, Sarah Todd, and others, is that the Jazz need the right ecosystem, a balance of young and veteran roster members, and and not only just the players themselves, but the skill types, right? Shooting bigs, pick and roll bigs, uh, you know, energy, uh, rotating, uh, you know, big wings like Vanderbilt, you know, shooting at size like Markinen, um, ball in hand, guys like Sexton, you know, pass first, set the table, vets like Conley. We need all those different skills to find out what the Jazz have. And so when we see that Bogdanovich got traded for another vet like Olenek, didn't make a lot of sense at the time. But as we kind of think of, hey, the Jazz need to figure out what they have, right? We're bringing in two new rookies, okay? Larry Markinen just balled out in Eurobasket. How much of that is really translatable? Colin Sexton, last time we saw him, he was a Donovan Mitchell light, 80% of Donovan Mitchell. Is he still that post ACL? All these questions we'll be able to figure out in the first half of the season, but we'll be able to really evaluate it best with a balanced complementary roster of, of players that can fill in the gaps around these question marks and really give us a good evaluation picture. So I'm buying that the vets are going to play at least to begin the season. The third thing we're hearing out of training camp is that Malik Beasley is just shooting the heck out of the ball. This was uh, mentioned by Tony Jones on a recent podcast, ESPN 700. And I totally buy this, primarily just given the history that we have of Malik Beasley. If we look at his last 1,000 attempts from three, 38% shooter. And that's ranging from a low of 37% to a high of 40% if you look at the, at the season's that make up those 1,000 attempts. Furthermore, if you look at the contextual shooting numbers, so not just, oh, what, any three-point shot, but if you look at catch-and-shoot threes, he shot between 38 and 41% the last three years. Furthermore, if you go back and look at pull-up shots, between 36 and 38% the last three years. So the, the dude is just really well-rounded, just like the, the normal NBA, he's less efficient on pull-ups, right? But overall, dead-eye shooter. And I totally buy that Malik is shooting the heck out of the ball. And this is a great opportunity for him to demonstrate that he is in the long-term plans for the Utah Jazz. Because, you know, he came over in the Rudy Gobert trade. But frankly, you know, he was kind of like that, that salary add-in. And you kind of really didn't know how much you know, he factors into the Jazz long term. But in November, end of November on the 26th, he just turns 26 years old, okay? This guy could absolutely factor into the, the long-term plans of Utah if he demonstrates as such. And in a contract year, I'm buying that Malik Beasley is going to be putting up some, uh, some numbers given the opportunity. And from everything we're hearing, if he earns that opportunity, he'll get it. The next thing that we've been hearing out of training camp is that Sexton is playing on both ends. He himself said that he wants to be playing on both ends, offense and defense. Will Hardy has said that his energy, his activity 
has been outstanding. He's picking up guys full court. So what do we make of it? Buy, sell, hold? Honestly, I'm selling on this, okay? There's, there's, I just don't see a single path to Colin Sexton being average or a contrib or a serious contributor defensively. Okay. You know, he's, he's, I think he's kind of in that, that similar mold of, of Patrick Beverly. And when Russell Westbrook said, Oh, Beverly be tricking y'all. He just running around out there and you call the defense. I don't actually think that applies to Patrick Beverly. Uh, you know, I, I think that he has actual, you know, skills and actual demonstrated impact on the defensive end. And, you know, he, he's not the same defender he was a handful of years ago. But I think that same sort of description applies to, to Colin Sexton. I'm open to be proven wrong, but at this juncture, you know, we saw, we saw those highlights in, in, a, in a summer run of Colin Sexton picking up full court, you know, being super wiry, jittery, and, uh, and, and very active and very intense. The eyes were just bulging out of his head. And that's what I envision when I'm hearing these comments from Sexton and Hardy, that it's, he's just running around out there and it, it's not actual impactful defense. So I'm selling on that one. I would love to be wrong. I pray I'm wrong because that takes Colin Sexton from Donovan Mitchell light to rounding out the type of player we always hoped Donovan Mitchell would be a contributor on both ends. But at this point, I'm selling on that being the case, at least for this season. The fifth thing that we're hearing out of camp is that the energy and the vibe around the team is just fantastic, right? Tony Jones talked about going into practice and just hearing excellent hip-hop music and guys are jamming, putting up shots. We've seen the photos of Kelly Olynyk hugging Jordan Clarkson. They're just grinning from ear to ear. You've Hopefully you've seen the video of Colin Sexton going around to each teammate and he says, okay, we're here with Larry Markkinen. What kicks do you have on? And they talk about the shoes and, and what they're sporting for, for media day. And, you know, we talked about Jordan Clarkson always bringing that vibe. So what do we make of it? Buy, sell, hold. For me, I'm really holding on this. Yes, everything looks great. And I totally buy that with a new roster, new coaching staff, reset expectations, and certain personalities that were clashing have been um, offloaded from the team. I, I, I totally buy that that could be the case. But like I said at the, at the top of this segment, the fact is, this is that that first date where everything is great. This is that first, you know, moment, that first day on the new job where you're bullish about everything. Everything is positive. Those rose-colored glasses are the size of Elton John's. And I'm just waiting to hold on that to ensure that those vibes are are there and that we're really seeing this energy from the team as we get into this serious uh, schedule at the start of the season when we're losing five, six, seven games in a row, barely pulling out a win, stuff like that. So I'm holding on that one for now. And the last thing that came from a Sarah Todd article of the Deseret News was that uh, she specifically cited uh, Mike Conley about uh, jazz rookie Walker Kessler. And Conley mentioned that Kessler is leaps and bounds ahead of where other guys are. And I specifically think he's talking about other rookies are. 
And it's really interesting because we've kind of got this two young big backdrop comparison going on in training camp right now with Yudoka Azubuki and Walker Kessler. And they're kind of polar opposites. Azubuki, you've got just the incredible body, the incredible athleticism. And on the other hand, Kessler, very cerebral, you know, very logical, a lot of preparation, and may not have those physical tools. So what do we what do we say? What do we do? Buy, sell, hold on this news out of training camp. Me personally, I'm buying this. I I am very impressed with Walker Kessler thus far from what we've been able to see. I was impressed by his logic and the preparation that he demonstrated in the media day interviews, talking about the decision tree that he goes through mentally when he's you know, defending a team. And he talked about how his big maturity was going from defending his matchup to defending a team and how that really unlocked his preparation and how he views film. And I thought that just demonstrated just how cerebral he really is. And I think he showed enough physical tools in, uh, in the collegiate game that I think he has the opportunity for that to translate. You know, I think his best case outcome is that he's a Jakob Pertl. And, and hopefully he's, he's a, a, you know, maybe he's like a, a Cody Zeller, late career Brooke Lopez type mix as well. You know, he, he is hoping that he could shoot a little bit, but that, you know, hey, Cody Zeller hasn't done anything crazy special, but he's lasted nearly a decade in the NBA. And to do that in a late first round pick uh, when I don't believe that Azubuki is going to work out, you know, I'm, I'm buying the Walker Kessler stock, and, and I'm, uh, I, I think that uh, he has a real chance to, uh, to do something in this league. Uh, I don't expect anything massive, anything flashy, but uh, like I said, best outcome is he's Jakob Pertl. But I think on average, you know, he could be a, a real excellent and impactful big off the bench, and, and that would be an absolute win for how he was included in the Rudy Gobert trade. All right, let's talk off-season. Let's review everything that happened, specifically the timeline of it all. So much happened over the off-season that I think sometimes we lose track of the sequence of events. And now that we have perfect hindsight, season starting, all of the moves have been discussed by the front office, the national media has commented on them, we've heard the players' perspective, etc., etc. Now that we have all that context, let's go back and review from start to finish and summarize what we make of it all. So the first thing that I, I put on here is the playoff loss, specifically that loss to the Mavericks, April 28th. And that's, that was, it was specifically the way the team went out when that happened. The way the team went out in that, you know, there was uh, backbiting, bickering, blaming each other, and the and Quinn had no answers, and, you know, we were just, we kept getting beat off the dribble and from the corner threes, just like in the Clippers series. It was the same old, same old, same old. And with that, the next big event was the Snyder resignation, which didn't happen until July, or excuse me, June 5th. On June 5th was the official Snyder resignation. And, you know, that's a, that's a good month and a week, you know, a month and two weeks about. 
And that's a lot of time for the Jazz to kind of figure some things out. Soon after the, the Quinn Snyder uh, resignation happened, we saw the rebrand unveiled, and it was kind of a signal, at least that's how the team pitched it, of a new era. We're trying to preserve the past with, hey, Purple's back, everybody. Uh, but we're moving towards a new feature, future that we're actually going to kind of bury to the side, push to the side in the uh, in the yellow, white, and black era. Uh, so the reband brand was unveiled June 17th. A week later, we saw Will Hardy hired. And with Will Hardy, we, we heard that he just blew them away in the interview. His philosophy, his maturity was just was just off the charts and that they were really impressed with the relationship uh, and how motivated he was to build relationships and how big of a thing that was for him. And just two days later, we saw the Royce O'Neal trade. And at the time that was really pitched as, Hey, flexibility, we're going to cash in on this, on this guy that was a, was an invite to a free agency camp and really made the roster and got a second contract and and we've cashed in on that on that asset for something that gives us more flexibility uh, long term then we saw the rudy gobert trade a week after okay oh and i and i totally skipped over the nba draft but the nba draft was on the the 23rd and we saw that there weren't really deals to make the team better we knew the jazz had a, a baji high on the board but there wasn't really a way to get him um, so yeah, the Rudy Gobert trade happens July 6th, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, and it was really the type of thing where the jazz just got such an incredible offer. They just had to take the deal. So then we, uh, move right along. And uh, a week later, July 11th, we heard the jazz were listening on Donovan Mitchell and it was starting to creep up that, Oh, Mitchell is blindsided by Quinn Snyder leaving and is unsure about the team direction. And, Oh, he always wanted to run it back, but this you know, with Rudy Gobert, uh, but that he also looked forward to a, a long-term future in New York. Then another week later, the jazz signed Fontecchio. He had been on the Jazz radar for years, according to Justin Zanuck, and it was one of the more exciting international guys and, and really, really impressive the Jazz locked him up prior to Eurobasket, where he really demonstrated a new level. Then fast forward a month and a half, that big dead zone where we just kept hearing report after report after report about the Jonathan Mitchell situation not changing at all. <laughs> that was one of the weirder things of the offseason, a report that nothing had changed. So uh, late August, the Jazz retrade, uh, a component of the Rudy Gobert return, Patrick Beverly, and that was really about granting additional opportunities, trading a, a veteran that was crowding up the guard lineup for two younger guys that, that uh, were going to give an opportunity to demonstrate something for us. Then the Donovan Mitchell trade happens uh, a week plus later, September 1st, and it was really about flexibility for the future, more opportunities, more options, and we got a, a lot of uh, solid young guys. Then we had the Bogdanovich trade that happened just a little over a week and a half ago, September 22nd. And we've since heard that the idea was to prioritize veterans that better optimized a roster that could be evaluated for development. So those were the major events that happened during the offseason. And now that we've kind of run through them all, 
what do we make of them? Like, what are the main takeaways here? So after, after looking at all and with some perfect hindsight, I think the first thing we know and, and we can tell immediately is that the team knew we were cooked. The fans knew it, the media knew it, and the front office clearly knew it. In fact, in that interview that Danny Ainge sat down in, he basically said, hey, I was, I was really bearish. I was pessimistic on the roster, but I felt like to do the due diligence to the team, we should see how things played out. And they played out in such a manner that everybody knew that the team was cooked. Right. And we, we've seen since then even more comments come come out. We've seen that Mitchell said, oh, I always wanted to run it back back with Rudy, um, but that he always saw a long term future in New York and was blindsided by Quinn leaving. And then we've seen that Clarkson talking about how, hey, everything that happened and all the subsequent moves were, you know, not very good for someone's mental health. And, you know, Conley saying that it was, you know, a real real brutal way for the team to go out and while they knew moves were coming it was it was crazy exactly how it transpired and Rudy Gay just said that they came up short and it was just incredibly incredibly disappointing so given everything everybody said and what we've known in hindsight and just exactly how drastic everything transpired I mean Zach Lowe back in April I think it was just said there's going to be wholesale changes happening in Utah. Barring a miraculous run to the Western Conference Finals, the Jazz will be making wholesale changes. And it wasn't just wholesale. It was going out of business, but we're staying in in business, type sale. And Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Bojan Bogdanovic, those three moved on. As, as did Royce O'Neal, four out of the five starters, major, major changes. And I think it, the writing was just on the wall and everybody knew it. I think that's the main thing we can point to with perfect hindsight of how this all took place. The next thing I think that's pretty darn obvious is just that it, it was crucial that Jazz recouped flexibility, options, and, and a future that had us highly likely and and was prioritizing the ultimate goal even with with us running it back i I think that uh, the jazz ceiling was pretty well known even if we returned mitchell and and gobert even if we had traded royce o'neill and and later we flipped that brooklyn pick on and, and 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 grabbed somebody at the deadline to round out the roster and try again I think that ceiling was pretty well defined, honestly. And and I think we've seen now with perfect hindsight the way things have transpired over the offseason that many more teams, including Denver, the Clippers, Portland, Dallas, and, uh, and um, Sacramento, and Golden State is as strong as ever. And Phoenix brought a lot of people back. It's just more and more crowded. And I think the Jazz would have gotten continually squeezed out. So with Utah not even being able to trade into the draft and get a prospect, but knowing they liked Abaji and not, not really having any way to get him, and the O'Neal trade, I think the Jazz really just said, stop, we need to prioritize getting our flexibility back so that we can reshape our future. Because the way things stood, there was no way to reshape the future. And then they just jumped at a chance for a reboot. 
you know, over the span of three weeks, if we uh, if we look at the sequence of events, basically in the span of three weeks, the Jazz went from deciding on a young coach instead of some of the veterans that they were looking at. So they decided on a young coach in Hardy. They knew the draft was a bust. They weren't going to be able to get in there. And they traded Gobert and Royce O'Neal and began listening on Mitchell in the span of three weeks. They saw they had a chance to really reboot this thing, to get those flexibility and options back. They knew the team was cooked, and they saw a window where they could make it all happen, and they executed it in three, or they set the table in three weeks and were able to, to do a majority of the work by the start of training camp. Still plenty to do, right? We've got to figure out what we have and, and, and see how that fits in long term. But they did the majority of the work in the offseason and, and really implemented and started that, that uh, plan within a three-week timeline. It's pretty incredible. The next thing I think is pretty obvious from perfect hindsight of this offseason is just that Mitchell was a lot bigger problem than, than we thought. We knew he had a lot of control over the, the franchise. We knew that he was flexing those, those superstar and CAA muscles over the organization. We knew that, hey, at some point he wants to get to New York. We knew that was going to be there, and we just kept hearing more and more and more. And I know that the Jazz said, oh, we plan to rebuild around him. And I know the Jazz said that they were – you know, seriously, uh, all in on Mitchell, but we just kept hearing more and more details. And clearly the jazz said, you know what we've, he is part of the moving on from him as part of the solution to these larger issues and, and resetting that culture. And I love Donovan. I absolutely love Don. We'll continue to root for him. Appreciate the good times. But I think it was painfully clear and more clear every day that it was time. And thank goodness the Jazz had the guts to do what needs doing and, and, and getting on with, with uh, painting a new future sooner rather than later. I also think it's pretty clear that uh, the Jazz were never really in on a full-out, unabashed, unapologetic tank from day one. We've seen those kind of tanks from Oklahoma City and from Philadelphia, right? We've seen, we've seen those before, okay, where it's painfully obvious that they don't even want to put a single NBA rotation player on the floor, uh, let alone multiple, and that every loss is a, is a sweet, sweet success. That was, that was never really the case for the Jazz. Because of the hauls that we got for Donovan and Gobert, they featured a lot of a lot of young guys, some veterans, and some in-between guys. You know, Malik Beasy being an in-between guy. So they really needed to see. Okay, we're gonna have all this spaghetti. We need to throw it on the wall, see what sticks. And that's why I think they were never really in from day one on an, on an unapologetic tank. Now they prioritize getting some vets like Olenek, you know, with that Bogdanovich trade to really round out the roster and, and give a give Hardy and the young guys a proper ecosystem for development. So I don't think they were really ever in on a full unapologetic tank from day one, though I do think we will be seeing tanking from the Jazz 
by the latest, the midpoint of the season, once we've answered a lot of those questions surrounding, surrounding the spaghetti we're throwing at the wall. Who is part of the future and how do they fit into the future? Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Jabber Jazz podcast today. So, so grateful, even if one of you is out there and, and participating, and let alone the entirety of Jazz Nation. We, we thank you so, so much for joining us today. If you like what we're doing, if, if you're you know, really a fan of the, the show, the content that we're putting out, here's how you can support us. We, we would love if you would consider subscribing to the podcast and to our YouTube channel uh, and, and also subscribing to us on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz. Leave a review or a comment. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Uh, we appreciate uh, criticism, be it positive and constructive uh, if possible. And if you're really, really passionate about what we're doing here, please consider scoring some Jabber Jazz merch on our store. Link in the description. Those modest proceeds go a long way to helping us keep the lights on and more content in your feed. Thanks again. And as always, let's continue to Jabber Jazz and let's leave you with some sounds of jazz. Thank you.